Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett studio inside the Sonesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. It's time for Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. We are the cornerstone of security in the Southeast. Welcome to Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. I'm your host, Rick Strong, the president of Paradigm Security Services, and we're excited to be with you today on Business Radio X. Each week, we plan to feature businesses in the Atlanta area, especially those that serve Gwinnett County. While all businesses have security concerns, not all are about physical security, and we'll touch on that and all related aspects of security through the course of each show. Our guest today, I'm happy to welcome Mr. Joe Prophet. Uh, you might recognize the name. He's former Atlanta Falcon, a very successful businessman, and he also happens to be running for the U.S. Congress, Georgia's 4th Congressional District. And uh, Joe, welcome to the show. Good morning, Rick. Good to be here. Thank you. Well, I want to ask you, let's just start off with something. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit about your path, kind of an introduction for, for, so everybody knows. After college, Joe Prophet was selected in the first round of the 1971 NFL Draft by the Atlanta Falcons. Due to a season-ending knee injury suffered in his first game in the NFL, Joe eventually retired his cleats, but the lessons he learned on the football field were invaluable. Lessons regarding perseverance, discipline, and teamwork on the football field are partly the reasons he is recognized as one of the most prominent small businessmen in America. As a successful businessman, his company, Gourmet Profit Inc., owned Burger King franchises in Atlanta. Joe was the first African-American to own a franchise for International House of Pancakes, one of my favorite places, <laughs> in the state of Georgia. He is the founder and CEO of a $100 million international multimedia firm, Communications International Corporation. He is ranked, it is ranked by Inc. 500 Magazine as one of the fastest growing privately held companies in America for three consecutive years. Joe contributes to the nation's economic engine by providing over 800 jobs to people in 37 states and nine countries. That's quite a, quite a resume for a, an entrepreneur and businessman and come a long way from your upbringing. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Joe Prophet, the man, and Joe Prophet, the businessman. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I appreciate you uh, giving me this opportunity to talk to the folks here in the 4th Congressional District. Uh, well, my journey started back in uh, cotton fields of Louisiana. Uh, my daddy was a proud sharecropper. Um, nine siblings. We, um, we found ourselves in a position of uh, being born in, a, in the greatest country um, in the history of the world. And a lot of folk look at that and say, well, that's, they take that for granted. Well, I did. My daddy was military, uh, army. and. We had a military-type discipline in our home, and my mother, of course, uh, she was the drill instructor. She was the drill, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and we we were taught early on uh, how important it was to develop a work ethic and to pursue um, a good education. And with that, we. My mother worked with us also in the fields, and what, what I learned was that that work ethic prepared me for the football field and eventually the business field. And I, right now, I want to take all of the um, experiences that I've had from the cotton fields to the football field, the business field, and help 
the fourth congressional district start to win, the win for our kids and grandkids. Mm -hmm. So what, what I want to be able to do is uh, do something really important, and that is to work for the people and turn the perception of uh, a dirty politician to a public servant. Well, it's about time that we had public servants back again. Uh, well, that's been something that's been lacking for a long time. Yes, sir. Well, if where I come from, I mean, you just have to understand um, the expectations. We had raised expectations. My second book, I talk about um, the fields of success and raised expectations because that starts with each and every one of us. If I expect things uh, to be good for myself, then chances are they will be. Well, you know, self-expectation, you, know, you think it hard enough, you're going to be whichever way you think. If you think you can't do it, you probably can't. Absolutely. I know we need someone who's worked with and will work with both Democrats and Republicans, which we have got a very big lacking of right now. And we need, a, you know, my personal opinion and a lot of other people's, we need a savvy business professional who can attract new good jobs, especially in the fourth, uh, even though it's just throughout the state, Georgia has, has drawing, uh, you know, companies, drawing international companies. And we need someone that thinks like a businessman, not thinks like a politician. And we need a leader with integrity who respects life and respects us and respects equality. And to me, that's pretty much sounds like it sums up your life pretty uh, where you are today. Well, yeah, as, as I said, it's it's one of those things that I learned um, by growing up in Louisiana. Where, you know, everybody was, was about the same. I mean, we didn't have middle class. <laughs> it was just just class, and thank God for that because that class has brought me a mighty long way. It has brought me to the um, position I am now where I can – hopefully teach others what I've learned. But it all starts with a work ethic. And that everything that we do start within our family. The issue is some families are not uh, together. There's in a lot of communities, there are no fathers in the homes. Um, in my community, for instance, there was like five families that didn't have a dad in the house. And we referred to them as the fatherless five. It was that rare. But in spite of that, uh, we grew up in, in, a, in a country where we took advantage of opportunities and knowing that um, nothing was owed to us except an opportunity. And then when you get that opportunity, you got to make the best of it. Well, you got to take what, you know, what's available to you. And uh, there's so much available to people today in this United States that they just don't, they don't pay attention to. They just, they want to stand there with their hand out or, you know, and instead of, you know, taking the hand up, getting busy, strapping up their boots and going, they want to just sit back and see what's going to come to them. And that just doesn't work in, in this type of society if you really want to go somewhere with your life. Let me ask you this. You know, why will Joe's business experience help him secure economic growth for Georgia's 4th District? Well, let me put it like this. First of all, the experiences that I've, I've gained to this point has been nothing short of a miracle. Um, you know, here's a cotton picker that came from, from Louisiana to Georgia uh, with the attitude of, uh, I'm going to make a way. If you show me a wall, I'll find a door. That has been my attitude and it still has. I'm going to use experiences that I've had. When I, when I got out of football, when, when I first started, um, had never been injured. 
in college. I think I missed one game because of a separated shoulder. I come in, and I'm in the National Football League. I mean, this is a dream. You ready to roll. Ready to roll. And third game, I get hurt. It was a career-ending injury. But that happened for a reason, because then after I got beyond the pity party and, <laughs> and realized that, by the way, Joe, man, you got a degree. Use it. Uh, and that's when I started bringing out those, what they call the – the gene pool lottery, where my daddy was a was a, a proud sharecropper. He was a scrapper, but he didn't take charity, and he didn't take um, adversities lying down. He got up and he fought, and he taught us how to do it, and he expected us to do everything that he couldn't do, wasn't allowed to do, and that was get education, compete, um, not feel sorry for yourself, get out there. So that business acumen has stayed with me, and. I've worked with Democrats, I work with Republicans. I never ran for office, but I've worked for the federal government. I mean, I, when I worked for Reagan, I was chairman, blacks for Reagan Bush, uh, when Reagan first started. Uh, and I took that position, I went out and I started recruiting Democrats uh, for Reagan, Bo Weavers for Reagans, uh, blacks for Reagan. And I was blessed enough to get Jose Williams, Dr. Abernathy, uh, to come across, not just to uh, vote for then Governor Reagan, who became president, but to campaign with us. Because Jose Williams and Dr. Abernathy understood that we had enough Republicans, we had enough Democrats, independents, libertarians, we needed more Americans. And with that principle, they came forth, uh, blue-blooded Democrats, to work for a Republican um, President Reagan, and the rest is history. A lot of folks don't know that. So we've had difficulties then, similar to what we have now. We were divided, but not like now. Now we are in a spiritual war, I believe. And those of us that say we love the Lord need to go to work. The government say if you see something, say something. I see something. And you're saying And something. I'm saying something. And I'm saying to all the folks that say they love the Lord, and when they ask God to bless America, we got to give them a reason to. We got to understand God first, family, then this great country, America. So what I want to try to do is take the, um, I guess, the, the, um, the intestinal fortitude that I used in business and talk to uh, the educators, talk to the parents, um, talk to law enforcement and say how we can work together. Imagine this. Imagine this. You had the uh, Georgia Bulldogs in the spring game, and you got the offense against the defense, and they're going after each other. But they don't hate each other. Exactly. They love each other. I mean, but they, it's competition, so they got to go after each other. They're called adversaries, not enemies. So imagine Georgia, offense and defense, get through the spring training, and then they got to play Alabama. <laughs> but they fighting each other. I mean, the offense against the defense, the offense hates the defense. You can't win. America needs both the offense, the R and the Ds to work together. Because we got little ones out there, our kids and grandkids that that expect us to be adults and expect us to do our job and to represent them and to show them the way. Not just uh, teach them, but train them in the way that they need to be because at some point we those of us that are baby boomers, 
going to depend on their judgment, our kids and grandkids. So we got we to gotta train them right. We need to be mentoring them. Absolutely. Every day. I totally agree. You know, there's just, that's a lot that we lose as, you know, and, and we, you and I are roughly the same age. And we come from the same background, generational, and right. the same type of upbringing where yes. our parents believed in integrity. They right. believed in hard work. They believed in going out there and doing whatever you can to better yourself, better your family. And it's carried over. And, you know, I like to think that I pass that along to my kids. And right. I think in a lot of ways, I'm very proud of them, that they, that they feel pretty much the same way. Never have asked any of them how they vote. Right. Uh, that's, you know, <coughs> I probably don't want to know on a couple. Right. But, you know, the bottom line is they, they do what they think is right. And that's the next right thing, as they say. And, and, and that's very important for us to mentor them. And, and it's important for the kids today to get that mentoring. And a lot of them aren't getting that mentoring. And, and one other thing, too, about our kids and grandkids is that they notice everything we do. They may not say it. And they may not uh, show it, but they notice. Absolutely. And we are reminded, uh, we should be reminded uh, that we are role models in everything we do. And not just making money. You know, I always figure, like, if you work hard, if you have a plan, God's grace, you're going to make money. If you stay the course, you're going to make money. But that shouldn't be the only thing we're looking at. Got to make money. Gotta, hey, listen, you get a good education. You develop good character, and you use integrity in your business and in your life, then everything else will take care of itself. It will take care of itself. Absolutely. You know, and a lot of that, you know, we talk about security, and the security of our country is going to depend on how we bring up our kids and what this next generation actually, what they do to produce better better citizens and, you know, calm, the calming effect over all of this crap we got going on right now mm -hmm. and you know in, in all seriousness it's the security of our country at stake well let me ask you this what what is it that uh, you plan to do for criminal justice reform and how is it important to the economic engine of the district well what I plan to do with the uh, uh, criminal justice system how we're going to reform it first of all I think it starts in, and this is what I tell um, parents and homeowner association presidents and members is that we need to start within each and every one of our communities uh, criminal justice first of all we need to work on the criminal part of it let's get less criminals let's have more justice and by that I mean if we teach our children how to behave how to respect authority in our homes. Because it's very difficult now to get uh, a child or anyone outside of your home. If they don't respect the home, how are they going to respect authority outside of the home? Absolutely. So what I always do, and I'm pointing right at myself, and I say, we, <laughs> we got to do better. Um, criminal justice need to be um, reformed because it is killing our uh, economy. You know, we're building more prisons than we are schools. And we're producing more criminals than we are doctors. As a matter of fact, there's a shortage of doctors in this country right now. Well, there's no shortage of criminals. You're absolutely right. And the thing is, I keep telling parents in these communities and in the, in the homeowner association, let's stop preparing. Uh, my dad said, let's stop feeding frogs for snakes to eat. 
In other words, let's stop the product line. What happened, prisons are flourishing because they got a lot of product. They got um, um, people that are coming into the system. What, what I do, my wife and I work with kids. Um, we help kids to write their books. We publish those books. It's called Legends and Kids. And we start to teach them early on, third grade all the way up to middle school, how to um, retrain uh, their brains and themselves and how to prepare themselves. And the best way to do that is to get them to learn how to write. Because if a kid can't read and write in third grade, they're probably going to be on the criminal justice side. Not the justice, but on the criminal. So what I'd like to do, there's a bill right now, the First Step Amendment, Doug Collins. Um, has, has uh, put forth that will shorten the uh, time of, um, of uh, people in the system that have committed um, nonviolent crimes. You know, I don't think it's fair to put someone in prison for 10 years for having a, a marijuana cigarette on them. Uh, I don't like marijuana, I don't smoke marijuana, and I don't deal with it, but I don't think you should have someone's life disrupted because they're having a, a, a cigarette. Some states right now, it's legal. Yep. But if we can get the parents that are incarcerated, I also learn that um, the, the largest segment of uh, population right now are women in prison, uh, kids, mothers. So we can make it so that when they come out of prison, they're trained with a skill that they can use on the outside because if they go in, they spend time inside the system then they have a what they call a rec it's a record. Then it's hard for anybody to hire them. Yeah, it's real difficult. So if we can train them inside, so when they come out, they're ready for a job. That will help them uh, as well in, in the criminal justice system. Well, I know that you know as a businessman myself, and we're responsible for hiring people. We're always looking for hiring people. We're hiring people now if we can find them. The economy is so good, it's hard to find them. But you know, it, it's always important to be able to find the people and. It, and coming from a, a background in law enforcement, I see we have, of course, in security, we have to do all the criminal checks and all that. Okay. But, you know, there, there's a point where sometimes you have to give people another chance. You know, you have these young people that come out there, and, yeah, they did something really stupid when they were 18, 19, 20 years old. It might have got them arrested, might have got them in jail. It's amazing how many of these young people will take the blame for something just because they don't want to snitch you know you think you're right. still in high school right. you don't want to snitch on somebody so you take the blame uh, some people take blames for robbery they don't realize how they're screwing their life up you know the people I tell them I said yeah those people that you took the blame for just smiled and really appreciated it while you went to jail yeah they just yeah. appreciate it and never gave you another thought but they you know it's important to figure out how to give people second chances as they come through, and a lot of it has to do with really, where is that person now? What's that person's character now? You know, I, you know. I'd just like to comment on that second chance. I have a program that's uh, ten years old. It's called the Second Chance Program, and what I do, I work with the district attorneys across the country with juveniles and the first offenders. Um, we get them at their first offense, hopefully before they get into the system. And we ask the DAs to work with the district attorneys to work with the courts so they can have an alternative um, 
other than going into the system. Because once they get into the system, it's, 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 it's devastating, done. as you were saying. Yeah. So the Second Chance Program, folks out there that want to listen to it, if you Google Dr. Joseph Prophet, Jerry Jones, a Second Chance Program, you'll see it's on that Internet. It's out there for folks. But it's a great program for youngsters because it gives them that second chance. And I like to see the same thing happen with adults where they get a second chance. And, and by that I mean, you know, the Lord said we should forgive one another. And, you know, we talk about it, but we don't even think about it, and we don't do it. And I think those of us that love the Lord should remind each other that this is our duty uh, to do this. And, and speaking of which, you know, my kids say, well, Dad, you got all these, these rules, and we can't do this, and we can't do that. And I'm saying, well, some of those rules are designed to help you so that you won't go outside of the boundaries and hurt yourself. It's like telling a child, if you go outside the yard and you walk out in the streets, that's high traffic. That's not stopping you from going in the streets. It's keeping you from getting hurt. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so in our second chance program, we talk to so many kids. Imagine this, too. In our country, um, we have a system where uh, foster homes are the life of a lot of kids. Imagine this. All your life, you've gone from one family to another. You don't know what... What we consider love is family love, but you're 18 now and you got to go. And they're getting out into the world. And say they make a mistake. They get out, they have no job, they have no home now, no family. 18, they're grown, right? Yep. Except if for our kids, they're not grown because, you know, my kids stay with me until he's 26, you know. But if you're a foster home, you get kids, you got to go. And they make mistakes. So, I always try to help those kids, too. And you get them to the side and say, why do you keep getting in trouble? And you'll learn things that we thought we already knew. So I have a, I have a real um, passion for helping kids that all their lives, man, they never had that chance. They never had that feeling of being loved in a family. So I just want everybody out there to know that all of us are charged. One of the, <laughs> those of us that say we love the Lord are charged with we got to help each other. And now, don't get me wrong. Now, I don't help butchers. I mean, I don't help people that don't want, that can't. I help the ones that can't work, not the ones that won't work. The ones that just aren't interested in help. That's you right. You can't help. You, you can't help. Now, if they have some mental issues, I want to find that out so I can help them. But if they're sound mind and body, oh, they got to go. And like my mother used to tell us every morning, go to the field. She said, everybody can go, got to go. So I just want to be able to say that the criminal justice system needs reforming, but it needs a bipartisan um, uh, effort because, you know, criminal justice system, uh, if we can work on it and reform it, it's best for the country. Well, yeah, and your passion for helping people, I think, has a lot to do. Everything I've read about you and everything I've, I've heard, it, that has a lot to do with why you're trying to go into this area of public service, and it is truly a public service area for you. Uh, you talk about the three fields of your life. What are they, and you know how and why are they so important to you? Well, I wrote a book called Fields of Success, Raised Expectation. And on the back of the book, I actually uh, have a uh, diagram of a f cotton field, <laughs> football field, and, and the skyline of Atlanta, Georgia, the business field. And <clears throat> what I, I just want to make it important so kids understand that Joe Prophet wasn't born. I've been called a... Um, uh, a self-made man, and I'm anything except self-made. I'm a God-made man. Uh, 
And I have always acknowledged that. Even when I was in college, I talk about the, the three fields. In the cotton field, I learned one thing. If you were poor, you were in the field. They didn't care whether you were black, white, Mexican, whatever. If you were poor, you had to go work. So I had a, uh, an opportunity to develop a great work ethic there. Uh, $4 a day, that's all we got. But you know what? It wasn't, we needed the money, but I wanted to help my daddy get off that farm because he said the only way we were going to get off a sharecropping we had to work our way off the farm. I heard him. So I was out there working in the field. Then I went to the football field, and I used the same work ethic I developed in the cotton fields of Louisiana. And it, it got me All-American. Um, when I went to college, if you read the book, it'll you know, see that I wouldn't welcome. <laughs> um, I was the first African-American uh, football player to play football for a major um, white college uh, for in the southeast. I mean, this was before Herschel Walker in 82. I was in uh, Louisiana in 1967 and walked on. And I had walked away from a full scholarship at Alcorn College, which is a, in those days was called a color school. Mm -hmm. And see, I, I, I love that because all my life I, I knew I was going to college. I just wanted to be able to get that opportunity. So when I did, I went to Alcorn, but it didn't work out. I had to leave. I walked, I walked away. I had nowhere to go, so I went home. <laughs> I told my daddy, Daddy, uh, I left. He went like, boy, you walked away from a full scholarship? And I said, yeah, Daddy. He said, what's up wrong with you, boy? <laughs> I said, no. I said, my coach promised me I wasn't a fan, and he didn't give me a fan. And he said, what? I said, yeah, Dad, at night it was real hot. And I had to practice twice a day, and the mosquitoes was coming through those windows like kamikaze uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, pilots. And I said, I, yes, I told, so he promised me this fan and didn't get the fan, so I left. And he said, boy, he said, you left college because they didn't have a fan. He said, we don't have a fan here either. Are you crazy? <laughs> and I said, well, Daddy, the real reason I left because my coach lied to me, and I couldn't play for a coach that lied to me. And if my coach told me to run through a wall, I'd say, which one? How fast? So I couldn't, work, I couldn't stay. So I left. So all I had in mind was Vietnam. But I had made my mind up. If I go to Vietnam, I was going to be a general. <laughs> <So> <laughs> but it didn't work that way. Um, my daddy told me I got on the – he woke up that next morning. I'm going to make this as quick as I can. I woke the next morning. He said, well, boy, what you doing here? I said, well, daddy, I don't know. He said, what you going to do now? I said, I'm going out there to Northeast. That was the name of the university then. And he said, boy, he said, you can't go out there. I said, why, Dad? I said, uh, he said, that's a white school, son. You, you can't go out there. I said, but, Daddy, the Supreme Court said I can go, so I'm going to try it. And he said, okay, go out there. And then he came back. He said, you know, if you go out there, I'm going to lose my job. And that's the only time I ever, I ever felt like, uh, I felt like I can't do this because that, Daddy can't lose his job. And then he went to work that day, and he came back, and he told me, he said, go on out there. He said, he said I, I taught you right. He said, you're going out there. He said, but you learn how to behave, son. So I went. The rest is history. I went out there, and I, I met my coach. My coach's name was Dixie White. And here you are. Here's a black kid from, from an all-black school, and his coach is named Dixie White, right? But anyway, Coach White became a real, real American. He gave me an opportunity after three days coming back threw me in the jersey and said, here, you're on your own. Well, four years later, they retired that jersey. Awesome. And it's the first jersey ever retired in the history of the university. So I know how my God works. And uh, all he asks us to do is to stay and stay in the word and believe. And my mother always reminded me that the Lord got something good for you to do, Joe. 
So anyway, uh, that is history. Uh, they retired to Jersey. It became, um, it's still there on the university. And then I was blessed enough to graduate on time, four years. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be drafted number one by the Atlanta Falcons. And then from there, um, had still had challenges. As I said earlier, you know, I got hurt my first year right out. But that opened the door to my business. And God, you know, that was really my field. Uh, I took a little company, um, a couple hundred thousand dollars, and grew into $120 million uh, and over 800 employees, 27 cities and nine countries. Amazing. That's Amazing it. what God can do for you, my friend. Well, I got it. Before I ask you this other question, I want to ask you a quick question. Did your dad lose his job? No, no. As a matter of fact, my dad told me, that's a good question. My dad told me, he said, boy, when you first went out there, he said, no one was talking to me. He said, now I got that promotion. He said, now they call me Mr. Prophet. <laughs> I love he it. said, that's Joe's daddy. And uh, he always, but he always reminded me how and who we serve. He said, boy, we serve a mighty God. He never, ever gave up he never quit no matter how bad things were no matter what he was called he just kept on going and, and you know it it worked out well because when my daddy passed away he got to see um five of his kids graduate from college and he didn't have any money to send us but all of the boys got athletic scholarships and my sisters got academic scholarships so you know i still say we we live in the greatest country in the world, and I am a an example of it. And people ask me, say, well, Joe, you're not bitter about all this stuff? I said, I could never be bitter because I want to be better. And you can't be bitter if you want to be better. It only takes the letter. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yes, sir. But but, but get back to the, the 4th Congressional District. One of the things that I wanted to do was to make a difference. I, the companies were great. NFL was fantastic. But I want to do something really important. I want to help the people of the 4th District. Because I remember people helped me. They helped my family. They encouraged us to do better. I always said, don't worry about what you don't have. Worry about the things you have. You got a good mind. You got a strong back. You're in the greatest country of the world. So take advantage of that. And so the 4th District, I owe my daddy and my country. Um, my allegiance to try to help the people of the fourth, because I'm going to tell you right now, I know what has not been done. And I'm going to tackle all the problems that this current guy won't do. Listen, let me ask you a question. If you had 12 years to fix the problem and it hasn't been fixed, so what are you going to do? You're going to keep giving them another shot? In the NFL and in football, if the coach can't win, they love the coach, but the coach got to go. And I'm saying right now, the guy that's in charge – of uh, the 4th Congressional District in the Congress seat, oh, he got to go. The people deserve more, and if God be my witness, and he is, I'm going to seek and I help retire. Well, let me ask you a question. I know that uh, there's been a lot of talk about uh, the economic boom and how much it's doing. Why isn't Georgia's 4th Congressional District sharing in that economic boom? Because, the, in my opinion, because we don't have the leadership that will – make sure that we share in it. All the counties around our fourth congressional district counties, um, South Gwinnett, East Atlanta, um, Rockdale, um, Newton, uh, not participating in the way that we should. 
um, black employment, for instance, um, we had lacked 16% when the national uh, average is less than 4%. I mean, it's, it's incredible. But you got to prepare the minds of the people. You got to make it a business-friendly environment so that the corporations would come in and create jobs. The president's tax bill has a provision in there for a reinvestment act where companies can come in and reinvest in, in good jobs. But the, the environment is so anti-business that they're not coming. And number two is that the insurance companies have to charge such high rates, uh, they're afraid to come in. So I, I'm talking to the, uh, I'm talking to the um, community leaders, I'm talking to the homeowner association about how we can get rid of this mist of the entire uh, community is full of crime. It's not, they're pockets of crime, but that crime is also affecting people that live here. We're all afraid. So what I would do that has not been done and probably will not be done by this guy is encourage companies to come in and then prepare our young folk to be prepared mentally, physically, so that when the jobs come, they're trained. I want to go to the um, uh, school, high schools and talk to them about including uh, skills that are help these kids right now. Everybody is not prepared to go to college. So a lot of brilliant, bright people will want to be electricians. They want to be um, engineers for um, doing air conditioning, heating. There's so many other jobs that people want to do. When I was coming up, you know, we had options. They're not there anymore. So I want to put that as part of the curriculum for uh, high school so that when they are uh, in high school, they have other choices. Uh, encourage entrepreneurship. I mean, everybody, look, some people <laughs> want to give jobs, not just get a job. Absolutely. Yeah, so that, that's one of the things that I would do that has not been done. Well, let me ask you one more question. What is your message to young people who can't see themselves doing what you've done? That's a good question. I always ask myself, Joe, what it is that motivates you? And it's not one single thing. There are many things. But if I look back, the most pressing one was I wanted to help my daddy. I wanted to contribute. I wanted to do my part. I wanted to make sure that every day I got up, I could do something that would help us get off that farm. What I say to the young folks, think about your parents. And if you're in a situation where you got just one, thank God for that one. And honor your mother. And if it's your father, honor your father. And learn, ask them, challenge them about, well, Daddy, Mama, what can I do to be better? Well, how can I help and sometimes they'll probably tell you, son, I want you to study harder. I want you to learn how to behave. I want you to love yourself. I want you to respect yourself. Because if we don't respect ourselves, we don't have the capacity to respect others. I mean, it starts really with us in our communities. If we want, and we all do, we want better for our kids. So what I would say to the young folks, get involved in your government. Listen. Those of us out here want to do um, good jobs, but we can't think for you. Young people need to be at the table too. When I walk into an office, a, a conference room and a meeting, and I see a lot of uh, millenniums, I feel real good. I'm like, God, I'm ready to go. But when I don't see any gray hair, I get worried. <laughs> so we need both. We need, we need the youth and we need the experience and the knowledge. So I would say to the young folk, get involved 
and learn how to behave and help everybody in your individual community to be better. Well, you have an awesome message. You have an awesome passion for what you're doing. You have an awesome passion for the people. And I wish you all the luck in the world and what you what you're endeavoring to do. And I think you can do a lot for your district. So I just want to say thank you for joining us. Can I say one thing before we go? Absolutely. I also make this call a profit promise that when I'm in Washington, I'm going to come back every quarter and I'm going to meet with the folks in the district, the mayors, the councilmen, et cetera. And one other promise I'm going to make is that I will visit the VA hospitals unexpected. I will show up. And I will show out. And I'm going to let you know that I represent you. And I'm going to show what hasn't been done. I'm going to have accountability. Because right now we don't have accountability from our current congressman. And I will be responsible. Well, I tell you what, that's not much else the people can ask for you to do. Yes, sir. And I got a feeling you're a man that's going to keep his promises. Thank you, sir. Well, I want to again thank you for joining us from Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Securities. Thank you so much, Joe, for being here. And uh, remember, you can join us live every Wednesday at 1130 in the morning. Or you can listen to our show anytime you want by going to businessradiox.com, clicking on Gwinnett Studio, and then click on Case in Point. Join us next week at 1130 when we'll talk with business leaders about their businesses and related security issues in today's world. Thanks again to my guest, Joe Prophet, and for our producers, Mike and Trey. I'm Rick Strawn, and remember, at Paradigm Security Services, we cover more than just your assets. I love it. <laughs>